back again. This is the All Tip 4 Podcast. I'm Brandon, and today's show title is from Information to Opinion Overload. I'll explain what all that means in a little bit here, but um, I'm coming off a weekend. Um, this is the first, I what's actually uh, MLK weekend as I'm recording this, so I'm a little bit ahead of the game, but this should be evergreen, so it shouldn't really matter. Um, and this is the first weekend I've, I took MLK Day off because um, it wasn't a holiday for the company that I work for, yet uh, it was a holiday for my wife and my son, and it was also a snow day uh, for a lot of things as well, uh, including the following day, the following Tuesday, many things were canceled, including school for snow. And so, um, it's been a long time since I've just had some downtime. Uh, certainly, I think about, you know, before the holidays. But even if I go deeper in my head back to that, you know, we had we had um, preserving season and hunting season. In fact, my last day off I took to do uh, some deer hunting, which was relaxing by all means. But it also had some baggage that went along with it in terms of the drive to and there and putting stuff away and getting ready and you know there's a bunch of hustle and bustle associated with that and then if i go back before that it's more the time that i thought was going to be relaxing when my wife was in france wasn't because it was me and my son home alone so i was mr mom and mr dad and it just wasn't as relaxing as i hoped i took time off in the summertime uh, to spend with my kids and the exchange student. We, of course, had our uh, wedding renewal party. That was fun, but very stressful. And so, you know, I have to go back a long way, maybe to even the previous year's holiday time where I took some time off between Christmas and New Year's to actually look at, you know, when did I have a, a day off where it extended my weekend and I didn't have anything specifically planned. And so uh, that was MLK Day for me recently. And with that, I took the advantage to do a bunch of catching up on things because the reality was there were some football games on that I really wanted to just sit down in front of and crash, but... You know me, I, I can't just sit sit still. i got to be doing something. So if I can do two things at the same time, have the football game on in the background while uh, working on getting all my thoughts and everything organized so I could catch up again because I've been a little uh, skinny since I took the break around Christmas time. And I've been sort of going day to day rather than building up a war chest of posts or at least ideas and plans to get ready so you know you could kind of say i've been burning the candle at both ends for quite some time and this was the first day i took off where i didn't really plan to do much other than watch football and do something while i was doing that and um in this season so it's probably been, I guess it's been since the summertime, late summertime. I've been going through the back catalog of the Art of Manliness podcast. And um, part of this was because my wife said, you know, you need to spend your time listening and researching things other than the things that I've been doing. 
and I, I've been aware of this podcast, but it covers a lot of things from emotional to physical well-being to um, topics that affect parents and things like that. that. So I thought it was a good uh, compromise or foray to sort of explore and add to my repertoire. Now, uh, the trigger for this podcast was one of those back catalog episodes, and I believe it had something to do with distraction. Um, It was about, you know, either techniques to deal with it or things that are distractions in our lives, primarily things like electronic distractions and the amount of time that they actually suck up and take in the average person's life. And so um, he gave he gave a statement that I thought was really profound. He said, "We have moved from the from the age of information overload to the age of opinion overload." And um, I thought about it for a second. I was like, "That's brilliant." I mean, that is what it is, and it also describes the habits that. Um, the modern person has gotten into. Um, I'm no different, although I like to pretend that I am, and I like to think that uh, I try to conduct myself differently. I still sometimes get enslaved by, oh, there's 18 emails in my inbox. I should clear those out because I don't want to know. I don't necessarily want to know what's in them. I just don't want them as undone, right? And so um, I'll use an an example here of with myself to sort of put this into context, put this, this quote, I guess, or this statement into context. Now, you've heard me talk about music and radio before Um, I, I made the switch to talk radio, I guess, about. 20 years ago and now I could probably say I made the switch to podcast probably oh I don't know 15 years ago um and when I was young when I was you know probably up to middle school age I used to listen to top 40 radio Uh, there was a point where top 40 radio began to sort of wear on me Um, I'm a big fan of the hair metal bands of the 1980s and that was kind of my preferred genre of music Uh, groups like poison and things but then it you know took a darker stronger tone um i would say with metallica coming out with the black album in 1991 i sort of i wanted that you know that harder music whereas Top 40 used to include bands like Poison, Guns N' Roses, Def Leppard, all those hair band type bands, Cinderella, and Metallica even. But then they started including less and less of those. And so at some point I was like, I've had enough of this. I'm switching over to country music. <laughs> so, so I went from top 40 to country music in high school. Um with my heavy metal rock and roll hair band stuff as well but those were becoming passe by that point you think about um guns and roses appetite for destruction i think was 
1887, 88, something like that. And my high school years began in 89. So that was already several years old and the transition to whatever, whatever it is, I would call it hip hop or something was really taking over top 40. And so I switched over to country with <laughs> Randy Travis and, um, well, I could name a lot of names, but I won't. So then I listened to country pretty exclusively until the early 2000s. And then I felt like country became, it wasn't the country of the mid to mid 1990s, early to mid 1990s, Garth Brooks, Alan Jackson, Travis Tritt kind of country to this, what I call today is bro country. Uh, yeah, there are artists in, in today's genre, or I should say relevant still in today's genre that sort of came out of that era. Like Brad Paisley would be one of them. I wouldn't mind seeing in concert, but, um, you know, there became this phenomenon of what I call bro country, which is, um, is more like what I would say is more like what pop music was in the 1970s and eighties. Um, and less like hip hop, but not like country. And so, um, so when that started happening in the mid two thousands and I pretty much switched over exclusively to, to talk radio. And the truth is, is that I think when you look at the psychology of that or, or what happened with all that, um, I was more comfortable sort of remaining in my own bias and listening to the things that I wanted to hear rather than the things that I didn't want to hear. And so that is sort of the corollary between, you know, what the internet has become today is that we've switched over to not just the power and capability of what the internet is, but we've focused its our attention on the things that we want to see within it. So, you know, I want to be careful here that before I get all or come off as high and mighty that, you know, I want to acknowledge that I'm doing some of the same things, right? This whole podcast here is opinion. And so, you know, I can't necessarily be holier than thou. Um, I am waving my arms, trying to get my opinion out there, trying to get my voice seen and heard and recognized. I think that, you know, where the danger is, is that when we try to take solace in the fact that um, I've done some things like uh, if you've been following me a long time, you'll know, you'll, you might remember when I think it was last year, early last year, I decided to cut back on the number of strictly opinion pieces that I was writing. Um, I was getting really heavy uh, day after day into politics and things. And I sort of made that mental decision to, reserve two days of the week for highly opinionated pieces. Those days being Mondays with the podcast and Fridays with the book review. And I did that not so much with the, with the book review was more, I wanted to retain that, um, that ability to sort of apply the stories and the things that 
we're reading as we go to current events and make sure that they're relevant and applicable. But Mondays specifically was I wanted to make sure that I could talk about anything that I wanted to talk about. And so, um, you know, that leads me to, at least in my mental space, saying, well, I'm better than that because, um, you know, I, I have a rein on how much opinion I really state. Now, if I'm being truly honest, my opinion does come out sometimes in the middle of the week. But what I'm really more focused, that, that tends to be anecdotal or ancillary to what I'm I'm saying, right? And I have a post coming up tomorrow, actually, where my, my opinion is in there. But it's um, relegated around a story and some facts. And in my opinion, is not necessarily telling you what to do. It's informing you uh, why I believe the way that I believe in that situation. And so, um, you know, I... I want to believe that I'm not just strictly putting out a hate speech or what have you, you know, but that what I'm saying has some value to it beyond that, even if you disagree with my opinion for, for that fact, right? Um, and so I want to make sure that I put a lens on everything I do with some degree of constructivity rather than just strictly opinion. But but if I look at the whole statement in general, I have to say I'm still putting out opinion, right? And so I can't necessarily stand in the camp of, um, you know, I'm doing this better than other people. I'm just probably doing it differently than other people. And so, uh, you know, you might be wondering, I know I've, I've talked about this at some points, but you might be wondering, why do I feel this way? So I think when I really stand back and look at it, and, and I've had some occasion, even I think about it periodically, where I just really detest social media platforms. Um, I'm going to use some reasons why here and hopefully you'll get it right i don't really want to be preached to or marketed on the x platform x being formerly twitter i think signing up to follow someone is really just about is just that right i'm following a person for them to just say whatever they want to say and um there, there's very little redeeming value in that. Now, I'm going to get to the end and then I'm going to put some caveats here, but, but this is how I feel. I could honestly care less about dance videos on TikTok or what people are doing on a day-to-day -day basis on, on Facebook. I think one of the most insidious ones that I'm, that I'm actually that I actually look at from time to time is next door. And I find it to be stupid and pitiful. I find next door just to be people complaining about how other people park neighbors, throwing parties, neighbors, you know, that they're complaining about how their neighbor's yard or whatever it is, or they're begging for money. Hey, I have a GoFundMe cause I, I want to, 
do this or that or I have nothing or whatever and it's just it's a huge turnoff for me as you know I'm not against charity in any means but I'm I find begging to be um, just really not attractive in the least and and whining that's begging and whining I think that those are those are the two adjectives that describe next door. I do find a little bit of value in LinkedIn, but I don't find enough value to participate routinely. Um, the last two jobs I have had have been a result of my LinkedIn profile and recruiters contacting me and me sort of getting through the process. But again, unless you're some sort of business mind, um, there's a lot of marketing still on LinkedIn and really, I mean, at least the way that I see most people using it is some sort of public front or face to their resume. This is my picture. This is a blurb about what I wish you would see in me. These are my experiences. This is where I've worked. And then after that, the amount of meaningful content on LinkedIn is really sort of dubious, if you will. I do get opportunities from time to time to contribute to spaces where I work, um, a specific technological niche that I work in. And I've thought about it, and I probably really should do that. But again, that would be something that would be used to further the career that I don't really want to be in in the first place. So the reality is, is I'd rather spend that extra three hours working on Alta 4 then writing something to embolden my LinkedIn sort of profile. And so, you know, I mean, there are other platforms, obviously, that I didn't mention. I participate very, very loosely in MeWe, which is a Facebook substitute. But the truth is, is MeWe is just not gaining any traction. And when I started getting involved in it, um, one group I followed, for instance, was posting about 50 posts a day. It's now down to about 10 a day after about two years. Um, I've joined some other groups in hopes there was a writers, conservative writers group that I was hoping maybe to make some more connections in it. But um, again, I've realized that it just it just isn't for me. And I'm not really a writer per se. I mean, I am a blog writer but most of the people that are on that particular group are fiction writers that are you know looking for help with how do you find an editor or you know what if your proofreaders disagree on they're more the mechanics of writing and i know that you know participation is what you make of it and so you know, I could color the conversation particularly because there's not that many active posts there's probably somewhere between five and 15 a day, but um, it just didn't give me the boost that I wanted. I'm also um, part of, um, oh, it's a, it's a Twitter replacement. I can't remember. <laughs> I can't remember what it's called. Anyway, it doesn't really matter at the moment. But again, I find I just don't enjoy social media interaction. And so, you know, I, I realize that's inherently self-limiting 
in that if I was probably good at it, if I probably wanted to be involved with it, then I probably would be a lot farther farther than I am with Alt F4 instead of it just being a daily hobby that I do. I could be farther down the road of it. It really is something that, um, you know, turns into something more than what it is. But the truth is, you know, I'm not inherently anti-social media. Um, if I were to have my pick, I would like my social media to be people doing cool, inspirational, and unique things. I think maybe the closest thing to that is actually YouTube. Um, but philosophically, I can't fully embrace YouTube due to their affiliation to Google and their desire to screen things. But when you look at the alternatives to YouTube, like Rumble, um, you end up getting, it's all the people that aren't making it on YouTube. So it's primarily, you know, political content and all that sort of stuff. And so, you know, all of these platforms have a little bit of this, of the definition of what, you know, what I might be interested in. But on the other hand, 95 or more percent of it isn't. It's people that, um, just it's nonsense, I guess. And so in the podcast that I listen to and I hear that doom and sensationalism sells and people like to be outraged. They talk about their demographics and they talk about even with show titles, the number of downloads vary when they're more um, salacious or they're more angry or they're more whatever, they get more downloads, they get more participation, they get more um, activity based on those when, than when they're mundane. And so, you know, when we look at this behavior in the, in the psychology of it, um, I have to, to correlate that the notification for these social media platforms is beginning to program us into what our connections are doing to make sure that we're better than them, that, you know, we can laugh at them for getting dumped on or outraged at our neighbors for how they park or our coworkers for getting laid off or whatever the thing is. I mean, I know that doesn't describe a hundred percent of us, but I, I, I can't help but, but think that, you know, my wife is active, actively involved in some of these platforms. And I, I see the messages from the people occasionally when she's scrolling through on in bed from people that we know. And, and I just, I just can't embrace it whatsoever. Um, you know, there's a, there's, there was a, <laughs> a term, uh, a few years ago called Trump derangement syndrome, where people were just outraged at some little thing that Trump would do. And, and a person that I know not well at this point, but we were the same age. We kind of grew up together. There's a relationship there that would just go off the handle about anyone that could have voted for Trump as such a this, that, and the other. And, you know, um, I'm, I, I'm not saying that I did or didn't vote for Trump, but if I did, I don't think he would say those words to my face, nor do I think that, we may believe to, we may agree to disagree. However, 
um, you know, I'm not the worst person in the world. And I do believe that this person would uh, support and recognize that. Nor do I think that, that that person is the worst person in the world. But I do believe that they uh, were, were a bit brainwashed in this Trump derangement syndrome. And so, you know, there's, there's been the, there are these habits where people are stack ranking themselves against everyone else in their social media world. I mean, you have to look no farther than nobody wakes up from bed and takes a picture. And then that becomes their sort of their profile picture, right? Every single picture that I've seen is after someone has put in their best effort to dress, to apply cosmetics or hair or haircut or whatever. And it's take pictures taken from a certain angle, a certain light. And it gives a sort of a, not a false sense because it's not false, but, but an, an untrue sense of what this person really looks like on a real life basis. And so, I mean, I guess in case I'm not abundantly clear, and, and I know I have been in the past, but I just don't enjoy social media because I don't want to play that game. Um, I want to be real. I want to be honest and I want to be um, forthright. And I want to call a spade a spade sometimes. Now, maybe that falls into the opinion part of it, but uh, anyway, I, I guess I'll, I'll leave that for for what it is. Now, before I leave these platforms altogether, I just want to talk about there, there was a time when I had both the notifications for LinkedIn turned on and the notifications for Nextdoor. I signed out of Nextdoor because I just quite honestly got irritated by it. LinkedIn, while I find some value to it, started to irritate me as well because they were sending me notifications about things that they had already sent me notifications about. Uh, something along the lines of your coworker just posted a new post and I go look at it and I go, that's funny because I saw that yesterday or, you know, your coworker just started a new job. And I was like, that was three months ago. And it got to the point where there were multiple times a day that I was reading snags or whatever they were whatever technique they were trying to use that was redirecting me to things that i had already seen and either read because i was interested or dismissed because i wasn't and i was getting into this habit where i was like oh there's a message i should clear it because you never know when a recruiter or blah 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 is trying to reach me maybe today's my day you know so we get these hopes up that it was actually something important only to find out that it actually wasn't right. Not only was it not important, but, it, but I had already seen it. And so, um, you know, I guess what I would say with these things is it's not necessarily that I wanted to know what my contacts were doing or, or that, but, but that there was something pending, right? Some action that, 
would benefit me some recruiter reaching out to me or whatever and that just didn't turn out to be true so i made the conscious effort to end the distraction i turned off the notifications and as it turns out with linkedin actually if someone uh, messages you then that will go that will also forward to your email in your um your account email so despite the fact that i don't have all these distractions now i'm still getting the important information that i want to get just via condensed conduit and you know i'll i'll say that i about once a week maybe maybe it's more like sometimes every two weeks i do go into linkedin and i sort of clear out what's clogging up things um you know, I mean, I've had good relationships with my coworkers. I do wish them the best. I want to be apprised of things that would benefit my career, even though I may or may not want to stay with it for the long term. And um, and so I, I do see some value in it. But multiple times a day, getting notifications for the same thing is, is not valuable. In fact, it's the opposite. It's building the habits that... That I don't want to build right and so why talk about this subject in the first place and I guess I, I want to keep going back to the profoundness of the 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 um, comment or the statement that was made in the podcast so I'll use another example there was a time in my life where uh, in, in all of our lives, actually, where in order to possess information, you needed to own it. And the example I'm going to use is when I was in college. There was a reference book. It was called the Merck Index uh, that contained the most commonly known orga organic chemicals. It didn't have everything, like every polymer and things that were ever made, but anything from an organic molecule standpoint that's been used in industry, synthesized, had useful value, what have you, you could find in this book. I bought one of these books. It was, I would say it was probably one of my prized possessions. And I was the only person that I knew that owned it outside of the library and or the classroom. Now, it's not that we didn't have access to it. Um, every chemistry organic chemistry classroom had it there was some in the lab there was some in the library but i had my own copy so going to a small school i didn't have to wait until the library hours were open which i believe closed at 8 p.m on the weekdays it opened at 10 on saturday closed at 6 and similar hours on sunday i believe and so I could be, you know, doing my own lab reports and everything on my own time with my own uh, materials. And I consider this a very important tool to keep with me and carry with me throughout my career. Little did I know another. Well, sorry. One more thing about it. So you could take a chemical formula and you could cross reference to get possible chemical structures and therefore chemical names with properties and and um, densities, melt points, all kinds of really useful facts about these things. Little did I know that we were going to enter the internet age. And so uh, now, 
you can just type in an empirical formula and you can search the internet and get those results right no longer do you have to own the Merck index or own a you know a, a 5,000 page reference manual worth of knowledge to know this information anyone chemist or not you wouldn't know how to use have to use the book you wouldn't have to find it I believe it costs it was less than a textbook I think it was a hundred and some odd dollars but um, now you can find that information for free and so this is an example of the great equalizer between the people owning the information and anyone being able to access it now the truth is is if you're not a chemist or biologist or someone that's done you know taken organic chemistry and understands it then the value of being able to have this information is not super helpful um, but that being said it meant that you know I was no longer unique among my peers as the only one owning the information everyone could own it or, or at least access it right and so actually I left that book when I left my first job in South Carolina and to be honest I really haven't missed it since I mean there's part of me that wishes that because I paid the $150 that I would still own it. Um, the, the truth is, is that wouldn't have been one of the books that I tossed in the recycling bin when I made the realization that I no longer needed chemistry textbooks in my life and that I was just carrying around dead weight. Um, I think it would have still... I. Occasionally I would have gone back to it and I would have preferred to use it over the internet because of the condensed format of the information, the ease of using it, and um, the volume of information there. But the reality is, is I haven't cried a tear over leaving it. Um, and that's because I, I can get the information in another form using another mechanism. So the downside of all this is now that everyone can have it nobody appreciates it right um, the only way to realistically appreciate what the internet has done for the information age is to have lived on both sides of it like I did and I think even more acutely as someone who lived through it as a student during when it when it happened right where all the information was in the library, all the information was in the classroom, all the information was in the lab in terms of reference information, um, is now at anyone's fingertips with any phone or any tablet or any computer. And so it doesn't matter what time of day it is. It doesn't matter who you are. It doesn't matter that you don't have a relationship with the chemistry department. You can look this stuff up. And so I, you know, I'm not bemoaning that. I'm just stating that as a fact, right? That you can't appreciate something that you didn't understand the dynamics before and after it happened. So I'm going to pose a question here, and that is how many times a day do we use the internet as it was developed? Not intent. I don't want to get into that slippery slope but 
you know, as it was developed, sort of a clearinghouse or repository of information and the ability to share and access it. I mean, um, I do use the internet to fact check what I'm saying, to um, look up spelling sometimes when I'm writing things, to, um, to do things like that. But honestly, I think I'm probably more of an anomaly than not. And not only that, but I think that most people don't use it to look up anything much of value other than, oh, I saw this thing on TV. Now I will look a little more into it. And sure enough, the story was true or, you know, what have you. They're using the Internet to sort of val validate the other uh, mechanisms that they're taking in entertainment and information. It's not a judgment, but an observation. And, I, but I think that the quote, as as it's said, where we're now we've now moved from information to opinion overload, is that we use the inter internet to sort of give and get opinions and and validate our biases, and that has become the primary purpose. Now, one more thing, and that is. I just want to point out, like, how how often do you do you use the internet at work? Now, most of us are not sort of logging in into Facebook or whatever on our work computers and um, you know participating in the social conversation as the days go on. The internet is provided through work basis as a tool, and admittedly, you know, sometimes I look up particular SQL syntax because it's been a long time since I've written a lot of SQL and I've forgotten as much as I remember at this point. I look up to find some manuals on things because um, I don't have the rights to load them. They've never been loaded or what have you. And so it's useful from that standpoint. But really the truth is, is more often than not, I'm seeing a headline it's going to snow four inches today and I click on that because I'm wondering well when is it going to snow four inches and how likely is that what's the percentage and what's the line where it's going to snow and stop snowing and you know so even those little things um, on the internet at work are taking away from really what the true um, past of the internet actually was and so therefore, you know, I'm not really using it as it's intended as provided. I'm going to get into my conclusion here and I'm going to use another example. So did you know that Crisco was initially invented as can as a candle wax substitute? <laughs> so I wrote, God help the person that wondered how it would taste. But Here's the stark reality, right, is that B&G Foods, who owns Crisco, is not pining for the days and, and for the, the methods that people should go back to using Crisco to make candles. No, they've embraced how it's used today. It's used as a fat substitute largely in baking or frying. And so their agenda is not to you know, inform or push how to make more candles faster, better, whatever. No, it's how to make people fatter and have more diabetes. 
<laughs> just kidding um but i digress here right uh no their their intent is putting it in as many recipes as possible and marketing how trans fat is terrible and trying to hold up how much better their product is versus say lard and those sorts of things that is the internet today in a, in a nutshell it was invented for one thing it's used for another and it's pushed um based on the perspective that the person using is pushing so you know i'm not crying about it there's no turning back um it is what it is but it should also help us to make sure that that we're better than other people and place us in a in a appropriate social structure again i digress right um it is what it is. And I want to pose one last question. Have you ever met a politician or, or even a person in that, in fact, um, for that matter, that you've held an opinion about, but then when you, after you met them in person, that changes? So the walls and the perceptions change, right? And now there's two ways to look at, at this particular situation. I would say it used to be, um, at least for me, it was more prevalent in the past where you would have phone conversations with a particular person and those phone conversations would paint your opinion about who they were. And then at some point you would be at a trade show or what have you, and then you would meet them. And then all of a sudden you'd be like, huh, maybe I was wrong about this person. But like I said, there's, there's two ways. One could be, they they could just be swarmy, right? They could be a politician who says, as the wind blows. And so they're very good at sort of making you feel good about all the other nonsense. I imagine Donald Trump actually to be like this. I imagine that he likes to spout off a lot of things on social media, but I also imagine that if you were to sit down on a one-on-one -on -one conversation, you'd probably feel like, you know, I, maybe I just misjudged this person. I also think that's probably true to some degree about a lot of politicians. The other hand could be that you, we were only seeing part of the information and that we were filling out, you know, whatever we thought about a particular person based on our own biases, opinions, and experiences. And so um, the point with all that is that you know, we're building these personas and profiles on these social media platforms to put our best foot forward when the reality is, is unless we know them personally deeply, we don't know them at all, really. We don't know them at all from these things. And there's a lot of uh, stalactite, stalagmite building, right, in these social media platforms that... We don't know the cave at all. All we know is how big the thing hanging down in front of us really is. So, you know, I don't make the rules. I just observe what's happening. And I have to say that um, that is a very good descriptor of how the Internet has changed over the years. And I don't really see it changing much more because I don't think people want it to change much more. I think... 
I think they're happy with their outrage. I think they're happy with their comparisons. And I think it makes for a really false and hollow life, to be honest. So while I really do my best not to, you know, spend my entire time in opinion, I do have it and I am giving it, I'm giving it for a reason, not necessarily to make myself look better, but to provoke thought for those people that are interested in being stimulated and being a better person. And, you know, if I'm wrong, I guess I'm wrong, but, uh, I can change that opinion later. Right. I mean, that's, that's the, the joy and the good thing about being a thinking person is that when the facts don't support, uh, the opinion any longer, then we're able to say, wait a minute, I was wrong all along. And now I believe X instead of Y. So with that, if you want to get in contact with me via email, you can find me at Brandon at altf4.co is my email. Noster, that was the platform I was thinking about. I'm on Noster. Find my public key there. Nobody's taken me up on it, so I still check it only about once a week. Um, I'm on MeWe that I check daily, but I don't interact much at all. But any of these things really could be... Um, could be a way to get a hold of me and they're all places where I currently check. I'm also on LinkedIn and in next door, but don't send them there unless you want to talk about business or complain about your neighbors, but that's just the way it is. So <laughs> this is Monday. Have a great week. And with that, remember to end your programming and do things that matter. 